And welcome into another edition of the Fun in the Sun podcast where we are talking all things Sunbelt football. Week 12 has come and gone, and believe it or not, we only have two full weeks left in the regular season in the Sunbelt Conference. Teams are starting to rise to the top and fall to the bottom. I'm Eggman Chambers, your host alongside my co-host, the one, the only, Mr. Brian Stone. You can find me on Twitter at Radio Guy EC, and you can find Brian on Twitter at Watch the Stone. Well, my man, here we said uh, with two weeks, this week and next, left in the regular season, and uh, the two top teams that we forecasted in the division, each division, to begin the year, well, as of right now, with two weeks left, those teams look to be on a collision course, and that is the Louisiana Raging Cajuns and the Appalachian State Mountaineers. Those two teams look to be on a course to meet each other for the second year in a row in the second uh, ever Sun Belt Championship game. Yeah, uh, you know, you kind of said it. Uh, from here on out, both of these teams' schedules with with App and Louisiana look like they're setting up for a rematch of last season's, um, you know, Sun Belt Championship game. I will say the way that Troy has come on late has impressed me, and maybe you know they get Louisiana uh, and App to the last two weeks of the season, so they could potentially play some spoiler. That's exactly right. It's going to be interesting to see what happens here over the course of the final couple weeks in Sunbelt action, but we'll start off the top by recapping Week 12. Uh, Week 12 got off to a very, very entertaining start between the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers and the Arkansas State Red Wolves in a game that uh, was closer than I think you and I both projected that it would be. We both thought Arkansas State would come out the winner, but it it was closer than what we thought. Give Coastal Carolina credit, man. And they had their chances here, and all they needed to do was to hold strong on defense. But with 32 seconds left, Lane Hatcher's arm comes up big as he connected with Kirk Merritt for a 21-yard touchdown, and Arkansas State was able to knock off Coastal Carolina 28-27. to Well, the, the reason I think Coastal was able to keep this so close is, you know, we've talked about their defense and it being, you know, pretty underrated. Uh, just because the wins haven't been there. But that's been mostly a lack of offensive production. Uh, I think one of the reasons they were able to stay with Arkansas State was the fact that they just gave C.J. Marable the ball for the first time in what seems like maybe a month or two. Um, I'm going back through his game logs. He, up until this game in their last five contests, so they lost to Louisiana, beat Troy, lost to Georgia Southern, lost to Georgia State. He hadn't had more than 14 carries in the last four games in a row. So you could give him 28 in this one, and he, and he ran wild. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was one of those things, too, I thought, with that, and then mixed in the fact that, well, Arkansas State turned it over five times with three fumbles and two interceptions. Turning the ball over five times, I don't care who you are, that's going to keep any opposing team in a football game. Yeah, and, and, you know, just from experience, we know how Coastal likes to play. Uh, they're a very ball-control-oriented uh, team, whereas Arkansas State wants to go out and, and really throw the ball all over the field. Um, but, you know, Lane Hatcher threw two picks in this one that that kept Coastal close. Uh, the, the, the real death knell for Coastal this season has been 
the lack of consistent quarterback play, and you saw it in this one from both Fred Payton and Bryce Carpenter, if they could find an answer at quarterback, I think this team could could be potentially a seven or eight win team. But it's just not gonna. It looks like it's just not gonna happen with these two guys at the uh, under center. No, they're so up and down between both of them. At one week, it's Carpenter that's the shining star. The next week, it's Peyton. Then you may get a week like this where neither one of them was that impressive. And then it's a running back like C.J. Marable who just is the one having to carry the football team. There is no consistent go-to piece for Coastal Carolina. And, you know, with two games left, Louisiana Monroe and also Texas State to end the year – Coastal Carolina four and six, virtually. They, I mean, obviously they have to win out to be bowl eligible. Do you think this team can win their last two games and, and finish six and six and go to their first ever bowl game? Well, I, I think it's less on Coastal and, and and you know I honestly think that the the bowl uh, chances for Coastal lie on the shoulders of Louisiana Monroe because I think Coastal is going to beat Texas State in the finale. But Louisiana Monroe, the last two weeks, has put together two completely different perf- performances. So it depends if you're going to get you, Lu- the Louisiana Monroe that played Georgia Southern or the Louisiana Monroe that played Georgia State. Yeah, you're exactly right. A lot of things going to be interesting as they come down the stretch. With the win, Arkansas State getting to bowl eligibility at 6-4, and 4-2 four, four and two in the conference. Coastal Carolina falling to 4-6, and 1-5. and five in the Sunbelt Conference. Well, your Georgia Southern Eagles got back on track after dropping the ball in a big way. Uh, 51-29, they used a big second and fourth quarter uh, to do so for the Eagles. The game started off slow, uh, back and forth, just 7-7 after one period of play, and then Georgia Southern, you got it cranked up, and J.D. King led the way with 102 yards on 16 carries and hey Sean Wirtz man 5 for 10 passing 80 yards and a touchdown when you're running the triple option and your quarterback throws it 10 times uh, that to me that just seems like a lot it seems like a lot but I I actually liked the way that they mixed up the play calling in this game um I feel like the, the way that this season has gone you can tell almost by the second series whether uh, offensive coordinator Bob DeBess is going to mix up the play calling or not. Um, you, it, in this one, you know, it started off slow, which it always does. The first series was was over in a in a flash, but Georgia Southern picked off the uh, Caleb Evans pass on their on the UL Monroe's first series of the game, and it was pretty much off to the races after that. You know, Georgia Southern scored on uh, on offense, defense, and special teams in this one. So, I mean. It looked close because Georgia Southern started off slow, but, I mean, they pretty much boat raced UL UL Monroe for the most part. Yeah, you're exactly right. Caleb Evans, 21 for 36, 285, two touchdowns, two picks. Not a uh, great day for Evans. And another thing that was big was you bottled up Josh Johnson in the run game for UL Monroe. Yeah, it was it was tough for Caleb Evans. Um, I don't know whether, you know, once again, we played in in less than ideal weather conditions. It was a little rainy. Uh, There were times throughout the game where you could you could visibly see rain. But then most of the time it was just like foggy. But uh, the second quarter really, really set it apart. And uh, UL Monroe the fact that Caleb Evans couldn't throw the ball really just negated Josh Johnson's ability to run. And they almost didn't even try after a certain point. You know, when we went into halftime up 24 to seven, 
you know, UL Monroe had a nice drive in the third quarter to to score on a one-yard run by Evans. But from then on out, it, it, UL Monroe just seemed completely out of sync offensively in this one. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. There was none that same Monroe team of what they had done uh, at the prior week to Georgia State. You just saw a team, I think, that was kind of in a in a hangover spot after that. And, I mean, three turnovers to any time that you – considering Georgia Southern played such a clean game on turnovers, having zero, UL Monroe giving Georgia Southern three extra possessions. That, that was kind of your, your due-in as well for the Warhawks. Yeah, and like I said, a lot of it too stems from DeVest like really opening up the playbook in this one and and showing some variety and not just doing the safest possible thing at all times. You know, they were getting to the edge. Uh, Shywertz threw a touchdown pass to Darian Anderson that that was a really really nice throw um, and and a good catch by Anderson, but. I mean, like I said, all three phases of the game, Georgia Southern just dominated UL Monroe. Definitely so. With the win, the Eagles bowl eligible once again this season and six and four, four and two in the conference. UL Monroe drops to uh, four and six and three and three in the conference. Well, Troy headed to San Marcos to take on Texas State and a game that real Troy just dominated from start to finish 63 to 27. The Trojans rolled their way uh, to a victory. Caleb Barker threw for a program record six touchdowns and 363 yards in the route of Texas State. I mean, what can I say? This is the Troy team we've been waiting to see. Yeah, I don't know whether the you know the the loss to Coastal by one point really set something uh, you know up for them or or whatever. But the last two weeks they've been playing like a team possessed. I mean, their defense you know against us and against Texas State has looked a lot better. Um, you know, offensively they're scoring the most points they have. Uh, since you know the week that they played Arkansas State, and that was a long time ago, and within the context of a season, so Barker has been just absolutely lighting it up the past two weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, on on the Texas State side, Tyler Vitt, we're back to the same issues. Interceptions. He had four interceptions in the game on twenty nine for forty four passing. Anytime you throw four picks, you're not going to win many football games. And, and, you know, Texas State's defense obviously, you know, didn't do them any favors either. It, it's always tough when it's 35 to 10 at halftime and you're just kind of probably looking around going, what, how, what's the quickest way we can get this game over with? Because Troy just, like I said, I don't know whether the, the loss to Coastal set something, you know, lit a fire in that team or whatever, but they have just been, you know, almost like out for blood the last two weeks. You know, it... It was never truly close in this one, but them scoring three touchdowns in the fourth quarter to to set the final score in this one really shows that, you know, maybe they have that killer instinct, but it maybe it was just their defense holding them back the whole time. Well, you know, I, that that's an interesting thing to look at because at the same time, though, you go back to Troy, 46 passes attempted in the game, 43 of them by Barker, three by Watson, the backup. 32 rushes uh, in the game, so fairly fairly even on, on play call, not too predominantly one-sided on, on the passing game. But at the same time, though, still not – feel, I feel like it, it, 
with Troy had been able the past couple weeks, Billingsley had stepped up, had some good games. I know that Barker and the passing game was working against Texas State, but when Troy goes into playing teams like Louisiana or teams like App who have a, a better secondary than what Texas State can bring to the table, I just don't see that you can ask Barker to throw it over 40 times and only give Billingsley 12 carries. Right. I mean, you know, they were a lot more balanced uh, two weeks ago when they played Georgia Southern. Billingsley really did tear up uh, Georgia Southern's front. But, but you know, it was Caleb Barker's arm that had set that up and, and given him the, the ability to run the ball out of, you know, a non-stacked box. So, uh, you know, maybe in this one they just wanted to showcase Barker, but, you know, they, they really just walked over Texas State in this one and uh, Tyler Vitt, you know, we we continue almost to say on a weekly basis, we don't actually know how good of a quarterback he is within the context of this conference because we don't know how much he has around him talent-wise. Yeah, that's exactly right. And with the win, Troy getting to 5-5 five and five on the year, 3-3 three and three in the conference, Texas State falling to 3-7, and 2-4 and four in the conference. Well, a game that was much closer than either one of us forecasted, they definitely... <laughs> covered the spread uh louisiana and south alabama 37 27 the cajuns uh, getting out of mobile with a win but man it wasn't easy the game was only 17 to 14 at halftime and still a one-point game after three i mean give the jaguars credit even in a loss this might be the best they've looked all year yeah, and and you know, um, you know, maybe this was a a look ahead game for Louisiana. They do have to to play Troy at home uh, this coming weekend. But you, you know, like you said, it's the best they've looked, and it was even in a loss. I mean, to play the top team in the conference, uh, you know, in the West rather, and, and to to keep it within, you know, even ten points is is amazing considering how South Alabama's looked so far this year. But what's even more amazing, the fact that the play calling for South Alabama was so one-sided. They ran the ball 50 times, only attempted 15 passes. But, I mean, you had two guys that was over 100 yards rushing. Trey Minter, his normal self, with 22 carries, 137 yards, and a touchdown. And then, also for South Alabama, Carlos Davis, a freshman from uh, Muscle Shoals, Alabama, came in got 10 carries 122 yards anytime you have two running backs over 100 yards especially over 120 yards you should be in a football game yeah i mean from what it from what it seems you know south alabama really did play some ball control and was able to to keep the ball out of louisiana's hands um you know because he's a freshman and you kind of have to take that as as what it is you know, I was pretty impressed with the way that Desmond Trotter played. You know, he did complete, you know, a, a about half of his passes for 116 yards, but he was able to do some things on the ground, ran for 64 yards. And I think just the threat of him being able to throw the ball is enough to open up the running game for South Alabama, considering that Cephas Johnson didn't even give them that. Well, see, here's the thing. I'm to the point now uh, the, with the way the last couple of weeks have went. If I'm South Alabama, I'm just going to roll with Trotter the rest of the year, the freshman. I'm not so sure that, that Trotter is going to be the future quarterback for the Jaguars. You know, I'm not sure either, but at this point, it's it's almost like what other option do they have? Yeah, uh, exactly. 
I mean, you know, you go into this weekend uh, for South Alabama and, you know, we'll do the look ahead in more depth, but they're playing a Georgia State team who's got a quarterback hobbling on a, on a torn ACL currently. So, I mean, you know, anything can happen. Yeah, you're exactly right. And uh, with the win, though, Louisiana getting to eight and two overall, five and one in the conference. South Alabama falling to one and nine on the season, zero and six in the Sun Belt Conference. Well, the final game from Week Twelve, it was in prime time. It was the then 25th ranked Appalachian State Mountaineers taking on the Georgia State Panthers uh, in uh, in Atlanta. The Mountaineers fell behind 21 to seven in the first. First quarter, but then Appalachian would score 49 unanswered points to end the game on a uh, on a 49 to uh, nothing run for the biggest part of the game, and then Georgia State would get a late score late in the fourth. But still, nonetheless, 56-27 App State rolling over Georgia State. To me, Brian, I sum this game up. In, in two ways. One, Appalachian State come out hung over from the big win at South Carolina a week prior. Number two, Sean Elliott and Georgia State, I know that they love Dan Ellington and I know that he is their senior leader, but they should have never came back out in the second half with Ellington at quarterback. They should have let Quad Brown start the second half. Yeah, I mean, at some point you have to just protect your guy. Um, you know, going into this one, I sent you the the link uh, that from, I, th- I believe it's an AJC reporter that said, Dan Ellington's expected to start today despite having a torn ACL. And your response was, how? How is that going to happen? And I'm like, I don't know. That's a very good question. <laughs> so for them, I mean, for me, the biggest surprise was seeing Georgia State up seven after the first quarter. Um, but like you said, it's almost irresponsible at this point to play Dan Ellington with having that injury. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, now granted, Deshaun Watson did it when he was a freshman at uh, Clemson. He come in with a torn ACL and beat South Carolina. But, you know, no disrespect intended to Dan Ellington. He's not Deshaun Watson. No, I think he realizes that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, you know, this was a game you could tell early the Mountaineer play calling was just not there. They ran a lot of plays just straight up the middle, so generic. The offense couldn't get going. But then all of a sudden, right after Zach Thomas threw that interception and the Mountaineers went down 21-7, to once Appalachian State defensively realized that Ellington was not going to be a threat at all because the Mountaineers had prepared for Quad Brown all week, and I know this for a fact, they did not know that Ellington was even going to play. They treated this week that Ellington was not going to play with that torn ACL, so everything they did, they tooled it around Quad Brown and had one of the linebackers set to spy on the quarterback. Well, they rolled out that, Ted Roof rolled out that defensive look, and it killed him early, hence why Coates broke that 67-yarder at the start of the game to score on that touchdown run for Georgia State that put them up early but once they realized that Ellington could not move and if you go back and watch the first half of that game you realize Ellington could not move when he tried to move it looked like a shell of his former self once they realized that defensively for Amp State and they just set everybody on the running back set the linebackers stacking the box eight nine guys in the box it was like boom there's the Amp State defense that you'd been waiting to see 
So let me ask you, if you if you went back in time, you had a time machine, and Dan Ellington somehow avoided tearing his ACL, how close do you think the final score of this game is? You know, I think it's a one-possession game. If Dan Ellington is healthy, if Dan Ellington's there, I think either way you look at it, it's a one-possession game. The one thing I will say Zach Thomas, after he got out of that early slump at the start, he st- him and Corey Sutton, they shredded the Georgia State secondary. I mean, Sutton had eight receptions, 173 yards, and three touchdowns. They could not cover Corey Sutton. I don't know what it was, just the matchup was not there. And, and two, Ellington was not the sharpest throwing the football. Now, I think that hurts because he wasn't able to plant his leg the way he needed to to get follow through on the football. Sean Jolly had a tremendous day uh, for uh, the Mountaineer defenses. He was able to intercept two different passes. But, uh, I mean, you know, I think it's a one, at least a one-possession game if Ellington's healthy, no ACL injury. But I think at the same time we saw that when – this App State offense, we finally saw Drinkowitz after that first quarter. We saw Drinkowitz kind of take the chains, and we talked about this last week. We finally saw him take the handcuffs off Zach Thomas and let him throw the ball downfield to Corey Sutton, something we had not seen even attempted hardly this year. And then we got it on back-to-back-to-back drives where Thomas was just launching the football deep, and look what happens. Yeah, exactly. Um you know, like we said, Georgia State, uh, it, it, there was going to come a time where you couldn't put everything on Dan Ellington's shoulders. Um, and, and early in the season, he didn't really have the, the running back help that has really kind of rounded and formed in this year. So, you know, early in the season and, and going back to last year, Trey Barnett and Destin Coates really weren't a factor as far as the offense goes. Uh, and, and, you know, you said it about, you know, the way that Corey Sutton played. Georgia State's defense has been the weak link of this team. Now, you can look at the wins and losses however you want, and you can give those, you know, credit for those to whoever you want. But the one moment that Dan Ellington isn't able to go at 100%, they're, you know, they're in it for a quarter, and then the game's just essentially over. So, I mean, we had kind of said this. At some point, Georgia State's defense was going to come back to bite them, and and it definitely did in this one. Yeah, it really did. Hence why the Mountaineers were able to put up uh, some of the numbers they were with over 550 yards uh, of offense. And with the win, the Mountaineers getting the 9-1 and one on the season and kind of putting a firm grasp on the first place spot in the Sunbelt East Division at 5-1 and one in conference play. Well, that's the recap of Week 12. When you turn the page over to Week 13 with just two games left in the regular season, it is a big week this week and we've got uh, some um, good spread lines this week on games as well but the first one off the top South Alabama and Georgia State we assume we don't know I don't know if you've seen anything is Dan Ellington gonna play have you been able to find anything you know I haven't I haven't honestly checked on it but I mean from what I would assume uh I, I guess he's just going to play the rest of the season. Um, you know, I he's a senior this year. He's obviously not going to be able to come back next year. So I think that his his intention is just to ride this season out. And, you know, they're, they're bowl eligible, and we would have to see, you know, what would happen in, as far as a bowl game goes. But 
you know, like you said, he just hasn't looked the same since since the injury. And uh, it seems that they think he's still the better option between him and Quad Brown. So I, I, I would assume he's going to play. Do you feel like this is a game, if South Alabama comes out the way they did last week, they, it's the spread is 10. Could you see South Alabama keeping this game within a score like they did Troy? Yeah, you know, when they played Louisiana, I, I I think that Louisiana top to bottom is a more talented team than Georgia State. I don't I don't think I'm that's a hot take or anything by any means, but I think with the lack of quarterback play that Georgia State's probably gonna endure between Ellington's injury and uh Brown's uh inability to kind of do the same things through the air that Ellington does. You know, if South Alabama keeps running the ball like they are. This this game is going to be like uh, the the Spider Man pointing meme at them at each other. It's going to be two quarterbacks that are like, I can't throw the ball. Can you? <laughs> you know, you make a good at it. Just a good way to look at it. And I agree with you one hundred percent. I mean, this is two teams that their defenses have not helped them either at all uh, this year. If you look statistically, uh, South Alabama's defense has been better than Georgia State's by the numbers, which is shocking considering you've got the records of the two teams the the way that they are. So it's going to be interesting to see. You know, I'll be honest with you, this is a game. I would advise to stay away from. I wouldn't feel comfortable taking any part of this game spread or anything. No, but I, I wouldn't either, just because there's so many unknown variables in this game. Uh, but I think this is just going to simply come down to which team runs the ball more effectively. Is it going to be Trey Barnett and Destin Coates, or is it going to be Trey Minter and whoever else steps up for South Alabama? Whichever team ends up with more rushing yards is probably going to be the team that comes away with a win in this one. Well, this game's set for a 2 o'clock kickoff on ESPN+. Well, the next game on the list is scheduled for a 2.30 kickoff on ESPN+. The now 24th-ranked Appalachian State Mountaineers, courtesy uh, of the college football playoff ranking, the 24th-ranked Mountaineers, who still have a glimmer, small glimmer of hope when it comes to a Cotton Bowl possibility, but they got to win out and win a conference championship to do so. Uh, they take on Texas State and welcome the Bobcats into Kid Brewer Stadium for uh, Senior Day at the Rock, and that's going to be their first home game since the Georgia Southern debacle a few weeks back. But at the same time, if there's one team, I think it's good for Amp State to be playing at this point in the year before that big showdown against Troy. This is the perfect game I think to be able to play to kind of get your groove right yeah uh I don't you know with, with the spread being 29 I think you could probably make the argument that it probably needs to be bigger um app has just been a points factory basically all year and I haven't looked at gambling statistics but I'm pretty sure with their spreads I mean outside of the Georgia Southern loss I think they've been pretty much cash and checks as far as spread goes so I feel very comfortable taking 29 here. I would also take the over. I could definitely see apps scoring, you know, 49 to 56 points by themselves. Uh, uh, this is another game when you look down at the stats and you see that uh, Texas State gives up uh, over 200 yards through the air a game. They're kind of even. They give up 204 through the air, 209 on the ground. I think this is another game. If I'm Eli Drinkowitz, I'm taking the handcuffs off Zach Thomas again. Let him throw the ball down the field to Corey Sutton, to Malik Williams. I mean, let him throw it downfield 
field man. Just let Thomas. We saw what can happen when Thomas and Sutton are on those deep balls together like we saw. Now, I'm not saying you're going to see an acrobatic catch where Corey Sutton's in midair, turns a flip, kicks it up to himself like he did against Georgia State on Saturday. But, man, this is a game that I could – if you're App State and you're Drinkwitz and you're getting ready for that big season finale showdown with Troy day after Thanksgiving, I'm going to turn him loose this week, and I'm going to just absolutely put out guns blazing as far as what I'm going to do. Well, here's the thing. Are they going to let him do that if if Texas State doesn't put a scare into them early like Georgia State did last week? Are they going to let him do that? I think is the main question. Well, that's uh, it. But yeah, go ahead. Oh no, I, I was just adding to it. I'm uh, you're you're completely you're completely right. You know, if if Texas State comes out and delivers an early punch that knocks App State back on their heels just to take it may you know, you may get into that just a, a little bit. Of, if it, it may take that for them to do it. But at the same time, I also feel like Darrington Evans is a good enough running back that uh, he can gash Texas State some. Yeah, and, and, you know, this could be a game where App, you know, plays it relatively conservative uh, and just rides Darrington Evans. But I think even with that, even if they tried to play it conservatively, I don't think Texas State has the defenders to keep App's athletes in front of them. So even if they're running the ball a bunch, throwing some short passes, all it takes is like one or two to break. And then, you know, you're looking at, like I said, 49 points. So, and, and that's not to include like, is Tyler Vitt going to throw another four interceptions in this one? Well, that's it. And to me, the over-under seems kind of low. To me, it's kind of odd to see a spread at 29 and an over-under just at 51 and a half. Yeah, I I feel like the only way these two numbers correspond is if you're betting on like Alabama and they're going to beat a team 35 to zero. Like that's the only way because teams like this, like App State scores a bunch of points. Their defense is pretty good, but it's not like one of those teams where they're going to score four touchdowns and then just take their foot off the gas and sit back and play defense the rest of the time. Like they're going to try to score points. So for a spread to be this large and for an over under to be, you know, this low is is very strange, like you said. Yeah, it's going to be one of those things to watch Saturday at two thirty kickoff between the Mountaineers and the Bobcats of Texas State. Well, your Georgia Southern Eagles go on the road to take on Arkansas State in a, a game that uh, they have to win out and hope for an App State loss to get to the Sun Belt Conference Championship game. Uh, this is a tight game. The spread. You're a one point favorite on the road. Georgia Southern on the road and as a favorite not something uh that i know you've you've talked about much this year because this uh, at times this is a different georgia southern team on the road yeah absolutely um you know i've, I've watched this i feel like i've watched this line swing back and forth i think it opened at arkansas state as a one-point favorite and it went to a pick and now it's georgia southern's a one-point favorite so um I don't know really what to expect out of either of these teams. They've sort of been yo-yoing a little bit all year. Uh, I, I I do feel pretty confident that that we're going to hit the over of 55 in this one. There are going to be points scored one way or the other. Now, it, if it, it could either look like last week against ULM as far as Georgia Southern just running all over them, 
or it might look like two weeks ago when Georgia Southern played Troy and the opposite was true. But either way, I think there are going to be points in this one. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for for Georgia Southern, it's it's one of these things, you know, they're in must-win mode uh, to end the year. Obviously, they're going to a bowl game at 6-4, and four, so they're bowl eligible and going to go to a bowl game. But at the same time, you got to win out in hopes that maybe App State loses one of their last two games to get to the Sun Belt Championship game. What is your thoughts on that, and and how good do you feel about the possibility of Georgia Southern being able to squeak into the Sun Belt Championship game? Well, I think it all comes down to this game. Um, I think Texas or Arkansas State rather lines up very similarly to Troy a couple weeks ago. Um, I, I think they throw the ball over the field very well. I actually think Marcel Murray is an upgrade as far as running backs go uh, to DK Billingsley, so he's going to be very dangerous. And uh, Omar Bayless, I think, is going to be, you know, like a day two or three pick in the NFL draft just because he's got the size and the speed and the, the, you know, the the catching ability. So I think this game, I mean, I'm not predicting the outcome being this similar, but Arkansas State and Troy are very, very similar teams. So it's all going to come down to Georgia Southern's ability to contain Arkansas State through the air and not, you know, try to play like an extremely soft defense like they did a couple weeks ago. So from your vantage point, are you more concerned about Arkansas State than Georgia State? Yeah, I'm not not as concerned about Georgia State now with the injury to Dan Ellington. Um, If he's playing hobbled, like you said, I mean, defensive coordinators like Scott Sloan uh, lick their chops seeing a guy that literally cannot move and, and it's just like a statue back there. So... If it's him or Quad Brown or whoever's whoever's the uh, the Georgia State quarterback by the end of the season, they don't concern me as much as Lane Hatcher's ability to throw the ball to Omar Bayless through the air. Well, the game has a three o'clock kickoff Eastern Time in Jonesboro between the Red Wolves and the Eagles. Also, Coastal Carolina hits the road this week, a five o'clock Eastern start time at Louisiana Monroe. The game going to be on ESPN three between the Chanticleers and the Warhawks. Uh, two teams in desperate need of a win if they want to crack at bowl eligibility. It has to be done this week. Somebody's bowl hope, hopes is getting dashed this week, while somebody keeps there's a live for at least one more week and uh, this is an interesting game Monroe a six-point favorite coming into this game and when you get down uh, to the numbers here uh, you know one of the one of the things is Coastal Carolina has the better defense from Louisiana Monroe but Monroe has the better offense they're similar at what they allow and what they give up per game I feel like this game is going to come down to who commits the fewest turnovers and and that may sound cliche but when you got a game between two I feel fairly same level opponents it's going to be those minor small minute details that you look at as a difference well, I mean, I, I think that UL Monroe's bowl hopes went out the window last weekend. Um, I, you know, they get their rivals, Louisiana, in the finale. I don't see a way that they win that game. So I, I don't, I, even if they win this game, all they're doing is spoiling Coastal Carolina's bowl hopes. I don't think they're doing anything for themselves. Uh, with that said, you know, Coastal Carolina, we, we don't know what to expect from them offensively every week it seems like you're just kind of rolling the dice and hoping for the best and you know UL Monroe is the has has just been like I said they've been a yo-yo team the entire season um you know 
they they beat Georgia State by two touchdowns. Okay, Ellington gets hurt. But Georgia State's still a pretty good team. Beat them by two touchdowns. Come out, Georgia Southern next weekend, lose by 30. So it's just like one of those things. You never really know what to expect from them. But I feel pretty confident taking the under in this one at 65. I don't think Coastal's going to be able to score a ton of points. Um, their season high in points is 62, and that was against Massachusetts, who may be one of the worst teams in the country. So uh, within the Sun Belt, they haven't topped, what, 35 points all year, 37 points. So I, I just don't see a way that the over hits in this one. Well, do you think that it's possible with what Coastal has left? Monroe this week, Texas State next week. Uh, obviously, I kind of feel like if you win this week, it gets easier next week to end the year. Do you do you feel comfortable thinking that this Chanticleer team can go bowling? Oh, yeah. I, I for sure feel, feel pretty confident they can go bowling. It, it just depends. Are they going to give... It depends on a number of factors. One being, is their quarterback play going to be good enough to keep them afloat? And number two being, is Jamie Chadwell going to give C.J. Marable the carries he needs to keep them competitive and in games? Because, like, I, you know, I read out his carries the past couple weeks up until last week, and he hadn't had more than 14 carries, and then they doubled that last week, and it kept them right in the game. So, I mean... I don't really know what to expect from Chadwell because he seems to use C.J. Marable however however he wants instead of how he should be used, which is frequently. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. This game, once again, a 5 o'clock kickoff between the Warhawks and the Chanticleers on ESPN3 with a final game to end the week uh, in the Sun Belt 4 uh, this week. The Troy Trojans hit the road to take on the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. The game set for a 5 o'clock kickoff on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, Louisiana is a 14-point favorite at home, but Troy has played more like Troy of old past couple of weeks uh what do you think brian would you feel comfortable taking the trojans plus the 14 on the road you know i kind of think i i wouldn't and and i only say that because i think louisiana last week was looking ahead to this game and was overlooking south alabama uh but i do feel pretty confident in the over in this one of 71 uh both of these teams score a ton of points uh, you know, what was it, week four of the season, Troy and Arkansas State played a 50-43 to 43 shootout. I could definitely see this game going kind of in that same fashion. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this this is one of those things, I think the over-unders is 71. I ain't so sure that I wouldn't like the over. Yeah, I don't know that I wouldn't like the over if it was 80 points. Just because both of these teams score a bunch, and, you know, Louisiana's defense kind of comes and goes and and you never really know like one week they'll come out and they'll play a dominant game and then the next week they'll kind of let a team score like 40 points but Louisiana is is, their offense is just so high powered I I, Troy really hasn't played like the top of the Sun Belt the last couple weeks and I'm including Georgia Southern in that because they they're just bad on the road like you kind of mentioned so I, I like to I like to see this game. It's going to be a I feel like it's going to be a shootout. A lot of offensive uh, offensive fireworks for sure. Well, we talk about uh, the bowl hopes for Coastal Carolina a minute ago. Troy's in a in a weird spot when it comes to their bowl hopes. They just got to win one more game. Just so happens their last two games come against the two best teams in the Sun Belt. With Troy five and five, do you see this team getting that sixth win? 
Weirdly, I think I do, and I don't know which team it's going to be over. I mean, I, I something tells me that one of these games is going to be a loss and one is going to be a win, but I don't know which game is which. Uh, I, I don't know if Louisiana is going to let Troy hang around and let Caleb Barker throw the ball over the field, or, you know, is, is App going to have to come, you know, to Troy and in the finale with their Sun Belt? you know, title hope games on the line, as well as, like you said, a birth to the Cotton Bowl. It's it's weird. For some reason, I just get this gut feeling that Troy is going to find a way to win one of these two games. You know, I don't think that's out of the question either. And you talk about, you know, the crazy thing is, this is what's crazy about it. App State can actually kind of lock up their bid this weekend if they beat texas state and georgia southern loses georgia southern goes to three losses in the conference georgia state already has three losses troy has three losses in the conference so everybody in the east division has three losses while app state would only have one the only thing that would matter going to troy is your your cotton ball hopes as far as that goes i mean if you think about it app state can wrap up the east division this weekend without even having to worry about beating troy or not to go to the Sunbelt Championship. Yeah, I mean, the next two weeks are going to show what kind of quality coach Chip Lindsey is. Um, you know, they they started the season really up and down, uh, allowed a ton of points to some of these teams. You know, Georgia State scored 52. Arkansas State scored 50. Missouri, who's kind of a middling SEC team, you know, beat them by 30 points. And then the last two weeks, they've kind of come alive. And like you said, they look like Troy of, of maybe like last year. But you, I think this is just going to be kind of a litmus test for Chip Lindsey and his ability to coach these guys up and get them motivated for, for two of the toughest teams in the conference the next two weeks. Yeah, it's going to be definitely one of the interesting things uh, to keep an eye on. And it's a big game uh, this weekend uh, between Troy and Louisiana. Well, that wraps it up as far as what we're looking at for uh, this weekend, my man. And, you know, it's it's a big week. You know, it's crazy to think that the Sun Belt divisions could be wrapped up this week. The West, uh, it's going to depend on if Louisiana wins this week and Arkansas State loses, then it, the West is wrapped up this week. If App State wins and Georgia Southern loses, then the East is wrapped up. It's crazy to think that we could still have a week left in the regular season and the Sunbelt Championship game already be decided of who it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, it, it's weird to look at the standings for the for both sides of the conference and see teams in Georgia Southern and Arkansas State who are, you know, doing everything they can to stay above 500, but are just one game out of being in the Sun Belt Championship. So it's a it's a strange proposition to look at for sure. But you know, these next two weeks are going to kind of show us, uh, you know, what it is that that these two teams are made of. Uh, Louisiana does have that tiebreaker over Arkansas State, though. So even if they found a way to drop a game uh, within these next two weeks, they would still have you know that head-to-head advantage. Yeah, I mean, all signs point right now to a Louisiana App State rematch in Boone and De- in December. So we know what kind of weather could be on the radar if that uh, if that is the case. Well, man, good stuff as always. I know uh, next week will be kind of a weird. Uh, 
schedule for us because Thursday is Thanksgiving, so getting the program, uh, getting the podcast out next week, we'll have to kind of do it uh, in a uh, maybe get it out earlier in the week. That way uh, we can get everything out before Thanksgiving and the Thanksgiving holiday. But man, good stuff uh, as always, and uh, I'll look forward to uh, breaking everything down again with you next week. Yeah, absolutely. The the Sunbelt title race is, is, is uh, starting to heat up here, so we'll see how it all shakes out on Saturday. Well, this has been the Fun in the Sun podcast.